Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say?, the show on which moms and Stanford students take a candid look at campus life. The topic this week, primal instincts, forces that drive our behavior. My name is Susan Morris, and joining me in the studio are this week's mothers, Barbara and Rebecca. Hi, Susan. Good to have you both here. And on the other side of the table are four Stanford students, Lauren, Emily, Nick, and Brennan. Great to have you all here. Great to be here. Thank you. Scientists have studied the animal kingdom extensively, in fact, down to the number of fingers on exotic creatures. But what about humans? We know how many fingers we have, but what makes us tick? How are we similar to other mammals, and how are we different? To give us some answers is our guest science and natural history writer, Hannah Holmes. But first, a few questions for our panel members. Panel, do you ever think about how your behavior is driven by biology? I absolutely think my behavior is deeply driven by biology. I mean, I'm always looking around irrationally for someone to, to spend time with. So I absolutely definitely think so. You think that's irrational? I think it's. I think there's no rational reason why you do it so much. Okay. Lauren, you were talking about about uh, your behavior influenced by biology. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm at a party and I'm talking to some, some young ladies and, and these other guys will come up and I some, suddenly I'll get really aggressive or I'll start feeling all these emotions that kind of just, you know, don't don't fit into the social model of how you should interact with other people, but they're still there and you start to feel very you know, territorial, if you will. I, uh, so we know how biology impacts who you're attracted to. Do you find yourself being drawn to dark-haired women or curly-haired women? You know, I don't, I don't know if it's so much that. I think that um, the, the people that I'm attracted to, you know, probably have some root in, in biology, but, you know, I think it would be interesting to ask the, the guest about that. I have no idea how that works out. Well, we are going to turn to our guest who is on the phone with us. Her name is Hannah Holmes, who is a science and natural history writer. Her marvelous new book is called The Well-Dressed Ape, A Natural History of Myself. Welcome, Hannah. Great. Thanks to be here. Well, what were your initial reactions to what the panel members said? Well, I think they're right on track. I mean, we have these these two colliding instincts within ourselves, the one to be a social animal, because we really can't survive alone as a creature. We're pretty pathetic. And secondly, uh, we are very defensive and territorial about the stuff we want. Every animal has to be. Well, we're particularly interested in talking to you about your chapter on reproduction, Loose as a Goose. And in your book, you sound really reluctant to label humans as monogamous. Why? Can you explain why? I'm really reluctant to, to label any animal as monogamous. The underlying biological rule is that you mix your DNA with somebody else's every time you mate, whether you're a swan or a human. And you'll get a certain... Um, uh, offspring type from that mixture of DNA. Well, the environment's a really chaotic place. It can change. So the best bet is to mix your DNA with a different donor's DNA each time you mate. And that is irrefutable biological law. And most animals play by that law. They appear to be monogamous because it really does help with high-maintenance offspring like baby swans and baby humans. But they also, if they get a chance, will hop over the fence and get a different donor for the second egg or the next um, human offspring, because that makes biological sense, too. But are we doing some cost-benefit analysis inside of ourselves? Because, you know, you can mate with everybody, but clearly you want to have the most, you know, high-value offspring, so you want to mate with the most fit individual. 
So, you know, would it be a waste to just mate with just everyone around you? Because you're going to have to spend resources on that offspring. That is absolutely true, and it's absolutely truer for the female. Uh, the male has much fewer biological costs to reproduction. The female is in it for the long haul. She is stuck with that offspring for obviously the first nine months, but usually this 18 is thereafter. One of the moms, and I'm curious about uh, chemical traction. I mean, you always hear about chemical traction. Is that really true? Well, this gets to, to the question of why we're attracted to the people we are. It turns out that humans really do engage the nose in this quest for the right DNA. And this was proven with a really interesting group of people in Canada who were very isolated, and the risk of inbreeding was very high. And yet this group had managed to absolutely maximize their genetic diversity by not inbreeding. The only way the researchers deduced this could have been achieved was through sniffing. And what humans appear able to do is detect in each other their immunity profile. So if I'm really not very strongly defended against the flu, apparently my nose can sniff out in a mate uh, that he is and that our offspring should benefit from that. So I have actually a question. So why do we as humans, I mean, there's a common occurrence um, for in the college scene, why do we all pack ourselves into massive dance floors where it smells rank and, and, and you know, touch each other and whatever else happens there? Like, I also heard you have a theory about um, the relationship between music and dance and mate quality. Um, like, what's all that about? Absolutely. Uh, it turns out dance is a really good demonstration of your physical symmetry. We're all asymmetrical as, as the cells divide and, and again divide in, in mom's uterus. Things go wrong. When, when you're finished, one eye is a little bit lower than the other and one hand is a little bigger than the other. And that asymmetry actually has a reflection of your IQ, among other things. Uh, tiny, but it does seem to be a true signal of your quality as a potential mate. And dance actually serves to demonstrate your your symmetry or asymmetry to other people who are watching. People did not realize this until they did an ingenious experiment in Jamaica where they measured the symmetry of males and then had them dance and had females rate which ones were most attractive. And the females unwittingly chose those who were most um, symmetrical. So I have a question going back to monogamy. So even though you say that we want to be sharing our DNA with other people, then why do we also seem to have this urge that our partner be faithful to us? Is that socially constructed or is there a biological reason for that? No, there's a biological reason. go back to the swans, you need those two parents because the season is short. You've got to raise the little buggers that hatch out of those eggs. You've got to stuff them full of food. You've got to keep the foxes from eating them. It takes two. And you don't want your partner swan to go wandering off to the cutie next door and take care of those kids because then your DNA in the shape of your offspring will be eaten. So where's the balance in that? (laughs) It's like, I want to go do the cute boy next door, but at the same time, I know that my boyfriend wants me to stay and raise the kids. Like, what what are you supposed to do in there? What what the birds do is they cheat when no one's looking. Uh, (laughs) Of course, that's what humans attempt to do, too, and chimpanzees. And and these wonderful observations of chimpanzees where a male will be trying to hit on the girl next door, but he knows that the alpha male will kick his butt if he's caught. 
And um, one of the charming rituals among chimpanzee males when they're trying to get a girl's attention is they sort of waggle their penis. <laughs> and the alpha male was coming by, and this guy didn't want to get caught, and he slapped his hands over his gonads um, as if to say, I wasn't hitting on her. Mm-hmm. Now, Hannah, I have to ask, is waggle a technical term? <laughs> I think it actually is. In this case. Oh. They, kind of, they kind of shimmy so that, you know, to draw attention to their equipment. You are listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you from KZSU. Our guest is Hannah Holmes, the author of The Well-Dressed Ape. So, actually, I actually have a question. So, how close is our societal constructs of what is normal and what not close and accurate to the biological understanding and the forces that are supposed to be occurring there? Like, is our is our social understanding of stuff pretty close to to what biology would indicate? I don't quite get the question. One of the key points to tease out here is what's culture and what's biology, and culture can put all kinds of layers of strange stuff on top of biology and try to disguise it. So the monogamy issue, for instance, Mm -hmm. Um, in our culture, we cleave to that. I mean, we talk a great deal about how monogamous we are and how fabulous that is, and it means we're really good people. There are other cultures where they really just don't care. I mean, it's really just not an issue that the female will breed with a male and they'll get the kid to sort of walking around age, and then she'll go find somebody else. And it's, it's not an issue. It's not a cultural issue. What are the biological or evolutionary explanations for homosexuality? Well, the best guess at this point um, is that it's a side effect of the broad range of hormonal profiles that animals come in. I mean, you have super femi femmes on one end and uh, super masculine males on another, but every combination of testosterone and estrogen is covered in between and on the extremes. Um, so it appears to be just a side effect of, of hormones finding their level in a developing fetus. The, uh, the phenomenon is repeated in nearly every species scientists have ever looked at. It appears to be simply a side effect of how complicated it is to try to get uh, the right mix of estrogen and testosterone to produce um, animals that can both nurture and um, attack. And going back to the um, hormones, I recently read something, um, a a report saying that Caucasian males have the most testosterone and Caucasian females have the least amount of estrogen. And conversely, Asian males have the least testosterone and Asian females have the most estrogen. Do you know anything about that? Is that true? I do not. There were some important different measures of those hormones. One is the circulating level, which is affecting your behavior today, Um, and the other is the amount that you were brewed in, in your mother's uterus, and every human fetus decides on that point itself. It's not the mother that subjects it to X amount of testosterone and Y amount of... But there are racial differences, though, or like genetic, like depending on what group you're from? I would expect that there are. What effect that has would be extremely debatable because... Mm -hmm. um, the whole system, that hormonal system, underlies a great many other neurotransmitters and uh, other chemicals that make you who you are, and those things are very dynamic in response to each other. So whether it has any effect at all, I wouldn't venture to guess. Oh, can I move to something fun? This is one of the moms. Uh, falling in love feels so good. What's the chemistry of that? What are the chemical effects of that? Yeah, you're just blotto off your block with um, oxytocin and your serotonin goes down to make you 
feel really um, accepting and not aggressive of, of this person that's invading your personal space. Um, it's a huge chemical warfare uh, that your body undergoes in order to keep you from killing that person. Now, you can prob- um, probably help me out here. I've been divorced twice. How long does that last? <laughs> <laughs> it, it does seem to fade. The various chemicals all seem to have gone out the window uh, within a year or two. Um, the nice thing about human biology, and we are a social animal, we need to keep the the good feelings going, not just for mating reasons, but just to, to help each other out, is that when humans touch, we release in each other oxytocin. And that's a really sweet chemical. It, um, it actively raises your level of trust and feelings of warmth and happiness. So humans always have the ability, even after the rush of, oh, my God, I love you, um, has worn <laughs> off, we always have the opportunity to renew the feelings of bonding and happiness and trust just by touching. Now, we got an email here, and it says, I'm a guy who showers regularly and wears deodorant, but I keep seeing advertisements for things like Axe Body Spray. Does a guy have to wear fragrance? Will stuff that comes out of a bottle help a guy with girls? (laughs) This is cultural. Again, um, (laughs) we're taught in our culture that that we have to smell really powerful, stinky, some would say, uh, to be attractive. Um, there's an interesting debate as to whether perfumes actually cover the messages that you need to be sending to potential mates uh, about your your immunity status and so on. Um, but in our culture, the presiding wisdom seems to be that to smell like my stepson smells when he gets out of the shower is really the way to be. <laughs> or, or Hannah, I have a question um, about evolution. You know, it seems like a lot of these processes have been have kind of evolved, you know, thousands of years ago to deal with the environment that humans were dealing with then. You know, have have humans stopped evolving in a way, or have there been, you know, further developments based on the way our environment has changed and, and the way it looks today? That's a really, really fascinating question to me. The humans really altered our own environment about 10,000 years ago when we began living in big herds um, and started making tools like there was no tomorrow. (laughs) So we are able to defeat a ton of the environmental pressures that used to kill us, like grizzly bears and wolves and um, uh, lots of illnesses and starvation and all that stuff. All that fundamental killer stuff has really vanished from much of the human environment. However, I think what we're evolving uh, in response to now is our own tools. Um, and I, the, the most elegant example of this might be the human female's pelvis, which in the olden days and in undeveloped parts of the world today will kill about 1 in 20 females once she gives birth. The pelvis is too narrow in about 5% of female humans for the fetus's head to fit through and both die. Uh, In the developed world, our tools have made that a non-issue. So I would suggest that the human female is actively evolving in response to the tool environment to have a narrower pelvis. Hannah, thank you so much. It was wonderful having you on on the show today. 
Oh, it's been fun. Good. Thank you. That was our guest, Hannah Holmes, science and natural history writer. Her new book is The Overdressed Ape, A Natural History of Myself. For more about Hannah Holmes and her book, you can go to our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.com. We will be giving away a copy of her book later in the show. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say, a panel discussion with moms and Stanford students. Our topic, primal instincts. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say?, during which moms and Stanford students take a candid look at student life. If you're just joining us, our topic is primal instincts. I'm Susan Morris, and with me in the studio are our two moms, Barbara and Rebecca. Hi, Susan. Hi, and our four Stanford students. Brennan. Emily. Lauren. And Nick. Good to have you all here. Now, during the last segment, our guest was Hannah Holmes, who was the author of The Well-Dressed Animal. We certainly, or excuse me, The Well-Dressed Ape. <laughs> uh, we will be giving away a copy of Hannah Holmes's book later in this segment. What was your initial reaction to what Hannah had to say? I actually kind of agreed with it. It's sort of something that I've been trying to understand about myself, how much am I biologically, uh, you know, understood and how much is sort of imposed or how much am I actually thinking about. So it actually really resonated with me how much we are biologically driven. Yeah, I think that the conflict between um, what you want to be and what your chemicals want you to be is very interesting, especially when you hear girls saying like, oh, I really like it. My boyfriend's territorial about me. You know, it makes me feel good when he's like, I don't know, jealous, blah, blah, blah. And then you hear these things and part of you is like, oh, I feel that. And part of you is like, no, I don't want that to be the way that I feel about things like that. And so I think it's an interesting conflict. Yeah. It's like we're all playing with it with the same deck of cards, but some people like understand where it's coming from, and other people are just kind of blindly flailing through their evolutionary history with no idea why they feel uh, different ways at different times. Well, have you ever uh, resisted some kind of biological urge that you've had? Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boys, tell me about that. <laughs> Brennan? Uh, so I'm, I'm currently with, with a, a wonderful girlfriend, but she has a rather attractive roommate. Um, oh, and, uh, that's oh, Andy. Dear. Well, I'm definitely sticking to, to my girlfriend. Um, that's, Is she that's listening? I, be. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lauren, tell me how when you have resisted your biological drive. Well, I mean, we touched on this at the end of the show that, you know, there's that, that drive that makes you want to reach out and punch that other guy at the party in the face and then, you know, take his woman and, and leave. But there's also... <laughs> Remind me not to go to a party with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, you got you to gotta restrain or, you know... I'll you, be your wingman. You have to say, you know, you're, you're a very nice-looking uh, young lady, but, you know, I, I'm with this other girl, so I can't, you know... Like, there, there are all these choices that you have to make, and there's that inner part of you, that very dark primal self of you that says, yeah. no, what are you doing? You know, Susan, responding just to biology, though, I had an experience this weekend that was so far afield. So it's a, a guy, not, no kid by any stretch, who um, indicated that he was very happily married and intended to stay so, stay so but would I what would I hypothetically think about maybe meeting each other's needs on the slide? Oh, <laughs> and I think, you know, and by the time someone's that age, you kind of hope they have the biology under control. Oh, no, wait a sec. How well did you know him? Not well. <laughs> I'd seen him around town frequently over a period of years. but uh, And the man starts the whole conversation by saying, I flirt with everybody. This is what men do. And we are hardwired in this way. So 
first of all, he blames biology, and second of all, he tells me I'm not especially attractive to him in any way. Was that a bad lead-in? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if you would like to join the conversation out there, give us a call. The number is 650-723-9010. Our topic is primal instincts on what would your mother say. Well, what did you think? You said, oh, God, another guy after some more. Yeah, you know what I said? I said, hypothetically, <laughs> why would I want to be your dirty little secret? <laughs> right? It's a, and I mean, as a, I think this kind of question came to me when I was in college and by older men, more sophisticated, who kind of put you off pace. Like he said, oh, you're so conventional or you sound so religious. And it's none of that. But it was a way to make me feel a little bit small in declining. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. he was just an expert at manipulating women. Yeah. Well, I think guys are pretty quick at doing that. I mean, not, none of the guys at this table. Okay. Yeah. But if a woman rejects a man, I've, you know, it's often that they'll say, oh, there must be something wrong with you because I'm so attractive. How could you resist me? Right. No, I think he even used that crazy expression about spreading his seed. I wanted to. Oh, oh, yeah. That's what I want you to do. I think that the whole issue of monogamy is really interesting in terms of um, this whole thing because a lot of times I wonder if if I am really happily with somebody and and there's like a slight dalliance on the side. Like, for example, this guy, if the women that he is, you know, using a side. Uh, pleasures is it important that he tells his wife about it if they really do have a good life together i feel like there's no clean answer to what to do in the case of being unfaithful well i think emily you absolutely don't tell your the one who's not (laughs) cheating about it there is no clean way to say by the way i have a pile of extracurricular interests right (laughs) rebecca what do you think about this in terms of having an extra dalliance on the side. I mean, do, what do you think about men who do this? It seems to be sort or of... women. And women. I, I was going to say. Women. Women. And women. And women. I think it destroys the trust in the relationship and it erodes over time the relationship once the partner is aware of it. And From just, the woman's point of view. Yeah. I mean, I think it's horrible. For the man as well, though. Yeah, for the man as well. Do you think for the man as well? Well, actually, that's actually one thing. I was reading a part of the book and it was saying that actually women are equally as... Um, Dalliance looking sure. as, as the men are. Um, and it's just the fact that women downplay them and men actually seem to um, promote them whenever they're being surveyed about them. Well, um, but we also need mm-hmm. the men to stick around to support the children and to support the home. But that doesn't mean we don't have eyes and hormones right. and want to do things. I think right. self-control and urges are different. I also wonder, though, what happens if your significant other, what if you screw up once? Like, what if it's never going to happen again and you just made a mistake, you got really drunk, you put yourself in a bad situation? and you betrayed the trust, do you have to fess up? Oh, let me make a recommendation there. Take the secret to your grave. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's only offloading your guilt onto the other person, and they're going to suffer for it. You know, I think the the right response to that is do the next right thing, which is live more honorably and never earn their trust. And don't do that again. (laughs) Well, we we have an email here. Changing the subject somewhat, but still on biology. My roommate doesn't shave her legs or her armpits. She thinks men like this because it makes her look more real. Now, I think that's totally crazy and kind of gross. I'm curious to hear what the boys on the panel think of it, though. I'm also curious about grooming the nether regions. It's fashionable <laughs> for these days for women to go totally bare, but that seems weird to me. Okay, guys, we have two questions here. Uh, what do you think about women who don't shave? 
I personally uh, go for the ones that, that do, uh, although I, I can't say I have very many qualms about, I mean, I just don't like the ones that, that happen to not shave. That's one of the things I like most about women is how soft they are. You know, yeah. like, you want that softness. It's so nice. Well, but long this... hair under the arms is kind of soft, <laughs> isn't I, it? I, I, mean, I guess I, if you shampooed and conditioned it, I mean, that's you one. have to braid it, actually. Yeah. So. I, I, I think to, to each his own, you know. It's not my cup of tea, but... You know, if she doesn't like to shave, maybe she wants to hear your guy. You know, I think I think you could make it work. Okay. And I'm sure it's cultural, too. Yeah. I think that there is this ideal of femininity being, like, very young. Well, Asians don't have much hair. This is true. I'm lucky. Yeah. And my okay. girlfriend hasn't shaved her legs all quarter, and you can't even tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I want to ask you about the second part of this, about going totally bare in the nether regions. I I also go for this. Um, I, I guess that's actually something I've wondered about, whether it's sort of a biological instinct in terms of, like, I, I prefer that way or whether it's socially imposed. And I actually don't have an answer, although I definitely do prefer... You prefer what? Shaved. You'd, okay. All right. I just, I just prefer kempt. I mean, otherwise, I mean, I feel like there's so many more important things going on. You know, it, it just seems like a moot point almost. I feel like this conversation is heading towards male waxing, <laughs> which, which not many places do, apparently. I was reading oh, an article really? the other day. I don't know. It went through those yellow but pages. But it's a new huh? craze. Every guy should go out and get waxed. <laughs> hey, wax, that, wax down there. Is that what we're talking yeah. about? Well, oh. we, we are yeah, going yeah. to be giving away a copy of Hannah Holmes's book, The Well-Dressed Ape, to the next caller. It is a fabulous book, and I highly recommend it. And the first caller to the station, the number is 65. 7239010 that number again 6507239010 so give us a call if you're interested in getting a copy of Hannah Holmes's book Susan I think we have a generational issue on this uh, shaving question uh-huh. and are we talking is- pubes or armpits <laughs> um, we're talking um, Nether. Okay. Let's, okay. <laughs> and it, it just seems, well, I, I, and I object at two levels. One is, I think that the human body in its normal condition is no longer good enough. And that's problematic. It's like Playboy with everybody having breast implants and whatnot. A normal physique is not attractive. And secondly, I think the whole shaving, um, the shaving fashion now makes people look more childish. I agree. I totally and what's wrong with being an adult man or adult woman? Why are we supposed to look well, like children? I actually read a book that actually was discussing this, and the fact is the fact of the matter was, according to this book, that we actually, when, we, when we're in a relationship, we actually talk goo-goo-ga-ga to each other. We actually revert to childish natures. It's actually a, a coming out of the simple biological instincts, and so it's, we actually do prefer reverting to more childish ways um, in relationships and, and in love. And but humans I- actually evolve to look more like child apes, because if you look at the greater apes, the difference between an adult, like chimpanzee, and a baby chimpanzee is very different, whereas we tend to look very much more similar to our child form. Right. Yeah. I've heard these things, too, but I think that making women shave their nether regions, I think that's socially constructed, and I think that's, like, putting women in their place and making them little girls. And I really think that, like, I've gotten a Brazilian a couple of times, and for me, like, it was so hard for me to decide to do it the first time because I did it, and I was like, I look like... Not even a 14-year-old girl. I look like a 10-year-old girl, you know? And that's 
very weird. It's so funny, though, because women take such pleasure in going to a waxer and having all of this pleasure. No. Are you kidding? It's extremely painful. No, have, no. You, have you been no, waxed? I, no, no. I've never had it. It hurts. I've never, it hurts like crazy. I've never had it done, but I hear women saying, well, I'm going to get waxed before my big date. Hey, Susan, let's take a trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It hurts. And I think it's, I've had guys who really like it, and I've had guys who don't, and I I prefer when I have a little bit With of padding like being down waxed, there. Oh, or? no, no. Like when girls okay. are all bare and when they're not. Listen, I want to... Um it's, uh, the, 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 I want to go back to the book and point out something that it says. Quote, young pairs are staying bonded longer, especially if the female has a college education. Why do you think that is? Do you have any theories on why an educated woman, more educated woman, would stay together with a man I, I longer? Think, I think a more educated woman is going to uh, have more... Uh, knowledge about themselves. They're going to have more knowledge about the world. They're going to have uh, really seen a lot more variety and choices in, in possible mates, possible people they could be with. And they're going to have a lot more self-confidence. I would actually posit that it's actually the, the, more, the, the more educated woman attracts a different kind of male. Actually, I think that I mean I I, have, I don't have any experience with this, and, and I haven't actually thought thought so much about this. But I, I heard that males are intimidated by smarter women, and so the smarter women attract uh, more more intelligent males. Um, so that's sort of I think it's just you know guys like talking to them. I think after a while, if you have a, a, a woman who's not you know yeah. who's not very intelligent or doesn't have her own opinions, I think it's just it's just boring, and and you kind of you know close the chapter on that one. I you know. know I feel like being someone who's educated, I feel more empowered to stay alone. So I'm kind of surprised by that. I mean, for me, I don't see a long-term pair bonding for another six, seven years. And I I don't really want to spend the next six, seven years jumping from two-year relationship to two-year relationship. You know, and what you say is so interesting, Emily, because 30 years ago when the divorce rate started really rising, it was because of women's educational and career opportunities. Exactly the reason that people are saying now they hang around longer. Well, we've got to get Hannah Holmes back on the air soon. <laughs> by the way, her book is gone. We got lots of callers for it, which is great. Well, this is What Would Your Mother Say? A Candid Look at Campus Life and Student Opinions. And if you'd like to learn more about the show, go to our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.com. It's time to take a short break. After we come back, a look at emotional abuse. If you have a question, send an email to mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu. Also, give us a call, 650-723-9010. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Talk radio with Stanford students. Our topic, emotional abuse. Hi, I'm Susan Morris, and thanks for joining us. With me in the studio are this week's mothers, Barbara and Rebecca. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. And on the other side of the table are our Stanford students. Brennan. Emily. Lauren. Nick. If you'd like to join our conversation, give us a call at 650-723-9010. You can also send us an email at mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu. You know, it's hard to hide physical abuse most of the time. The black and blue marks are usually evident, but emotional abuse is far more insidious. It's often invisible to others, and slowly, over time, it can destroy a victim's self-confidence and well-being. Listeners, if you're an expert on the subject, have witnessed emotional abuse, or have been a victim yourself, give us a call. Join the conversation. Our number again is 650-723-9010. 
Well, I'd like to go around and have someone here describe emotional abuse. Barbara, can you describe it? Well, you know, I was looking online today, and they gave an example that I thought was just captured it perfectly. And it says it's like pushing someone off a cliff and then running down to catch them. I think it's um, it's a mixed message, often of a devastating nature that leaves a person off balance, confused, and feeling diminished. Yes. Can you give us an example? Has anyone seen that, Barbara? Can you? I mean, I think that says it so well. An example? Um, so I, this definitely doesn't sort of fit that that model, but uh, I have a friend who's actually trying to break up with, with an old boyfriend um, of multiple years, and she's unsure whether they'd be good together, whether he's done with her. So it, it's sort of like, you know, a, definitely the mixed messages. And, and, and so you know, she'll, she'll be like, all right, I think I, we really need to. But he'll be like, but oh, but I really want to be with you. And then a few weeks later, he'll ask her if she's been to parties and whatnot, and she'll say, well, yeah. And they're completely different universities. And... and um, and it'll be like, no, I don't want to be with you. And so um, it's definitely the pushing off a cliff and then catching them and, and whatnot. Mixed messages. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mixed messages. I think, though, that this is mean messages mixed in with, you know, trying. I've, I've got to say, I wasn't involved in a um, uh, an important relationship at one point in my life. And it was very confusing to me because this person, whom I thought was really a very special individual, would say, you're smart, you're pretty, I think you're swell. And then say something like, what do you know? You come from that stupid house and that stupid school. And, and it was, um, it was the mixed message. And I think the impact it has on a person is one of such confusion. What did I do to cause that? And so you really are not as powerful about walking away as, as you think you would be. So it's very controlling yeah. when you think about it. Now, I'm going to throw out some scenarios to you, and I want you to tell me if you think it's uh, emotional abuse. The boyfriend gives you the silent treatment after you've told him you're too tired to have sex. Yes. No. <laughs> no? That's mean. <laughs> I, think, I think Emily brings up an important point here is that there's so much, I think, you know, there's there's a very blurry line between you know like these emotional ups and downs and the way that people interact when they're in relationships and abuse. It's like there's like this this sliding scale is a spectrum and a lot of times like even what flirting is a lot of the time when you'll you'll kind of mess around with someone and <laughs> yeah. you, and you you know poke them and you know kind of give them a hard time and kind of carrying that all the way to the nth degree becomes emotional abuse. But I think that gray area in the middle is is a uh, is an important point. Yeah, and my question is like you know what if you are you know, giving someone the silent treatment, but it's like their way of like a, having a joke, you know, so it might be hurting you, but to them, it's funny. Boy, I who thinks like... silent treatment is a joke? I, I, I uh, think yeah, it's, it's childish. Funny, yeah. right. you know, <laughs> minimally, it's childish to respond that way. Okay. Here's another scenario. A friend accuses you of not caring and storms off because you're 15 minutes late for a lunch date. By the way, we haven't talked about the fact that emotional abuse can occur between roommates, best friends, parents, whatever. I think mm-hmm. the problem it's hard for me with these is that they're they're singular incidents mm-hmm. and yeah. and I think for me I see abuse as a pattern of your relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh man, she really flipped out at me. I'm feeling really abused. It's that in our relationship I'm constantly made to feel small. But I think Further, it's impossible to define. I think anytime you're not nice to somebody that could be emotional abuse. Oh, I guess I really like the pattern that or the the um the definition that we had before which is that pushing them off a cliff and then catching them with these isolated incidents 
we only have the push, but we don't have, have the catch that's required later in order for it to really be disempowering and to make things really confusing. Okay. I think with emotional abuse, there's a real aspect of control, you know, uh, not letting somebody do what they want to do in their life by belittling them, and then, uh, you know, just trying to keep them where they were, trying to hold people back, mm -hmm. things like that. Have you ever had anyone who resents um, someone having friendships separate from outside of their relationship? Yeah, actually, the incident I was talking about before, um, the boyfriend got very jealous um, uh, ab about uh, the, this, this nice young woman having friends outside, and he, he would always be like, well, you were with this other guy, and like, you know, and so I definitely think that, that was... A little controlling, but I guess it didn't fit the definition that we're sort of going with here of pushing a cliff and falling off because he would never, I and mean, he, he'd sort of be okay with it, but he'd never really be sending the message that, that it's okay to have other friends before demeaning her for having other friends and hanging out with them. Well, I think we're saying Barbara's definition is very, very good, but the problem with emotional abuse is it's complicated. I mean, I'd like to go around, and if we can do this quickly, and if someone could say a pattern of doing something would be emotional abuse. Who would like to start? I mean, I think controlling, trying to control how often someone sees friends outside of the relationship is emotionally abusive. But you might just say, well, the guy really likes to be alone with me. He loves me so much. Oh, that's a pile of baloney. But here's one. A pattern <laughs> of making the other person feel small, less than. Okay. I think that's abusive. By saying boy, you've gained weight, or that dress is a little snug, or... Are you sure you want to try that? I'm not sure. I don't think you're qualified. Whatever it is, if you're constantly made to feel smaller, that's mm -hmm. an ugly quality. I think what's important when you talk, talk about the catching, too... Well, I'm not very, very... I'm not very educated on emotional abuse, but um, I think that what's important is that if you just make somebody feel bad all the time, it's a lot easier for someone to walk away from it. It's this careful, careful manipulation where you make them need you still, where you make it hard to walk away. So it's enough positive reinforcement so that they stay and they need you and they wait for that approval. I guess it's also the fact that you yourself are not good enough, but I can help you with something. This is obviously from the point of view mm -hmm. of, the, of the male. And that, you know, you can't, you know, deal with this, but here I can help you and, and, and that sort of stuff. And so it creates the dependency, I guess. Okay, you're listening to What Would Your Mother Say on KZSU. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call at 7650-723-9010. Well, how does the issue become more complicated when the emotional abusers are the parents? And who has seen parents treat their siblings, or not siblings, their children abusively? Um, so I, I have a friend uh, who who knew a uh, really complicated relationship. Keep uh, it simple. <laughs> where 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 it was just sort of oh you you have to come home and you have to help do chores around the house you have to sort of keep helping out and and you know you, you aren't good enough for stuff out there you need to help the family which like created you in the first place and so it's still sort of the the dependency um, and sort of the emotional. Um, drain, I guess. Well, a friend of mine's, um, uh, my daughter had a friend whose mother made her, before she went to school, she had to clean the bathroom. I mean, and they had a maid. I mean, this wasn't like they didn't have someone already doing that. Well, how's that just not creating a good work ethic? Every day? The bathroom's dirty every day. 
Mom cleans well, the kitchen a, every day. Well, that's I mean, why a, is that such uh, a big deal? I'm well, not of course, with you now, who told me this story was my daughter was saying that this was abuse. <laughs> and guess who what? has a maid these days? And guess what? And I, I fell for it. <laughs> and I'll bet your daughter never cleaned the bathroom. Does that mean your, your daughter was emotionally abusing you? you say? Yeah. Uh, manipulating. Manipulating. Yes, Rebecca. Well, yeah, we have some close family friends, and I just recently found out that the father is never happy with any either of his daughter's boyfriends. They're never good enough. <laughs> my you know, mother's never happy with my girlfriend. Never good enough. And, she, and he always wants them to break up. And it gets to the point where he threatens, I'm not going to pay for any of your school tuition. I'm not going to give you any support in any way unless you break up with this person. And it doesn't matter who they go out with. It's not good enough. And so it's like, does this, the person, the student at that some time decide, okay, I have to stand up for myself, even if it means I don't get tuition because I have to be able to make my own choices or do they continue this story of being abused and continue on for like another 20 years? Well, really side sad. note, if you want your daughter to really like some guy, you have to forbid her from seeing him. And then it's <laughs> the strongest relationship you can create as a father. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? Oh yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> Uh, now, you, Nick, you were saying that your your mother doesn't like any of your girlfriends? Well, I guess, you know, it's a combination of both of what they were talking about. My mom really didn't like my high school girlfriend, and so that just made us all the more close. Um, it's so romantic to be forbidden. Right, you know? yeah, right. So, yeah. you know, the Romeo and Juliet scenario. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it sort of keeps you from breaking up the longer than you should have. So mm-hmm. it, it really mm-hmm. goes against, it, it's just bad practice. So, so in other words, parents don't, Bad mouth or criticize a significant other of your of your child. Just don't say anything at all. That oh, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, that's yeah. hard. Come, okay. I'll figure it out. I'll <laughs> say that sometimes you you have to be careful about how you frame it. I mean, threatening tuition, I always think is a very unfair move because it's a huge, like I'm in power, and of course there's like this defensive thing. But I think as the parent, you should be in a position where you can say it worries me that you're with this person because X, because I've seen this person treat you this way, yeah. or because I. You know, like it's your choice to be with this person, but I don't think that this, this, this about them helps you be a better person. And I think that you have to put it in a way. I've had my parents say that to me. And even if I don't, if I'm not like, yeah, I really agree with you. Part of it, if it, it resonates with in. me, you see, it sinks in and you have to think about it a little. Oh, parents, we're always in a corner, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I you know. know it. I have a friend, though, who did not like any of her daughter's boyfriends and she turned 38 and she wasn't married and she ended up marrying this very nice guy who I can assure you my friend would never have chosen and the daughter has said hey mom you didn't like anyone you know I I like so-and-so but you didn't like him I wish I'd married him but I didn't because of you so you do learn to keep your mouth shut you think oh I don't want that to be to be my daughter reprimanding me well this is what would your mother say a candid look at campus life talk radio with stanford students if you'd like to learn more about the show go to our website what would your mother say dot com we're going to take a short break after we come back the panel will respond to listeners emails and if you'd like to send us one our address is mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu our phone number is 650-723-9010 stay tuned Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Talk radio with Stanford students. We're taking a look at emails that students and our listeners have sent us. I'm your host, Susan Morris, and our two mothers this week are... Rebecca. Barbara. And Barbara. And on the other side of the table are four Stanford students. Brennan. Emily. Lauren. Nick. 
it's good to have you all here. All right. We've gotten some emails in the process of the show. And the first one is, I heard if you don't have sex for a year, you're a virgin again. Is that true? Well, I imagine a lot of people hope it's true. Well, if you don't remember what it feels like, you might as well be a virgin. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Or how uh, to do it. I, I guess I guess you still sort of, it's like riding a bicycle. Once you learn, you know, it, it you'll still always remember how to not fall off. So, I just think that the obsession with the word virgin really frustrates me in, in the world. Like, what does it really mean to be a virgin? Why is there so much weight held on it? I think it's a choice about whether or not you want to be intimate with somebody and how you want to be intimate with them and what label you want to put on yourself or what value you want to put on yourself because you have or have not been that intimate with somebody, I think is a load of baloney. I was the least virginal, technical virgin because I hadn't had intercourse for the longest time. And I, I hated the label because it has all these connotations that didn't describe me at all. So long um, story short, you're, you're, you're still not doesn't a matter if you're <laughs> I don't think Sorry. you are. <laughs> well, going back to Emily's point that we could talk about the days when who was a virgin and who wasn't made great conversation, right, in the locker room. Well, I don't know. My dorm room, there weren't too many virgins. No, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, in high school. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. high school, high school. And you know, the ones who weren't virgins didn't go around and saying anything because you know, was, Rebecca, you talk about it. Yeah. I couldn't help but notice you said in your dorm room, not in your <laughs> dorm room. <laughs> dorm room. <laughs> my dorm room wasn't that active. <laughs> it's interesting you said that, Susan. A group of my female friends in high school used to have virgin parties, and every time one of them became uh, not a virgin anymore, they'd throw this party, and then you know the non-virgins would dress up in black, and then the, the <laughs> virgin the virgin would dress up in white, and then the one special one would dress up in red. They had this whole ceremony set up. What? It was really peculiar. Where was this? Wow. This is in Napa. I don't know. This is really weird. <laughs> I know. They had a cake. It was weird. You know that the circle pin used to be a sign of a virgin. Did no. you? Know? Yeah. Did? Yeah. Yeah, huh. we wore our virgin pins. You don't see those anymore. On anyone. Oh, the promise. Yeah. Yes. Which don't uh, work. There's such a high percentage of people within a few years who end up having premarital sex after that whole ceremony with their father. Oh, wait, what's this about? They have, in like a lot of very evangelical communities, they have this big fad of having these like I don't know what they call them. These like it's like a debutante ball, but it's this like promise thing with your father, and you dance with your father in all white, and he promises to help you protect your chastity, and you promise that you're going to stay a virgin until marriage, and it doesn't work at all. Well, it's because they're not having any sex ed. Meanwhile, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know the Jonas Brothers, you know the big singers, uh, apparently wore promise bracelets that they were going to stay virgins until they got married. Apparently, they're no longer wearing these bracelets. <laughs> so, well, wasn't Britney Spears' big claim yeah. to fame? Once upon a time, that she was so clean cut and virginal. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. exactly. Like a virgin. <laughs> well, at six o'clock, after what would your mother say is st- the Stanford Storytelling Project. That is at six o'clock after our show. Okay, here's another email. I was at a pub talking with a girl I was becoming friends with when we joined a group of people we knew. Gradually, one of the guys took over the conversation, and no one could get a word in edgewise. I thought it was kind of rude, but what amazed me was that all the girls lapped it up and couldn't take their eyes off him. I finally decided to leave and the girl I was with got angry with me for leaving. But what else can a man do in this sort of situation? Sounds like he was amogging. Yeah, yeah, he's uh he's you kind of punched alpha, him. alpha male of the group. No, yeah. yeah, but he's projecting his maleness and I think mm. that lady 
ladies, you know, and this goes back way back to the biology thing, is that females need to find that alpha who's going to be able to take care of that child once they have. And this is kind of like the basic, like, biological, you know, root kind of argument for this. And so this guy, I don't know, could maybe try to come up with some way to, to butt in or, or be the, the co-alpha, and then they could compete, and well, it'd be this huge fireworks thing. Well, who at yeah. the table has seen two men actually go at each other? Be- All the time. Like, yeah. I come section. Especially in Stanford, it's hilarious, because you have this very, like, intellectual alpha mailing, and you have guys in class posturing at each other, and who can, I don't know, spout more philosophy? It's disgusting, but also kind of hilarious. Yeah, is it, bo- really is it boring? And, and a little hot, Emily? Just a little bit? It, it depends. Depends oh, yeah. how good-looking <laughs> they are. Depends if they can back it up. <laughs> oh, women? Mothers? What do you say? Things haven't changed very much, have they? Guys no, they sure haven't, but the guy that leaves looks like such a bad sport. I mean, he, he, oh. he's trapped there, in my opinion. Oh, you don't think he should leave? No. That's an interesting... Well, what does he do, though? He looks like a wimp if he doesn't say He looks anything. like an idiot what if he leaves, though. He looks like something. a crybaby. Can you get the girl to leave with you? I don't know what I would do in that situation. Because, I mean, I don't really... I like a guy who can hold everyone's What's attention. this guy giving a two-hour monologue? Like yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I feel awesome. like he just, he's at a bar. Have a few more drinks, and then like, the conversation will change tags. I, ask her <laughs> if you can get her a drink or something, especially if you're in a social setting already. Okay, so which guy at the table has been in a situation like this? I have. I think every guy has. Yeah. Every guy has. Well, now, what's the counterpart for women when you're sitting there and, um, you know, one girl, one woman at the in the gathering is getting all the attention? Oh, you just go up and talk to some guys. <laughs> <laughs> what if they're all eyes on this this girl or this woman? You know, I think women can drift away without having that same um, bad sport thing happening. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because oh. the guys are not the least bit interested in seeing her anymore. I mean, unlike uh, that guy kind of looks like a crybaby, but a woman who leaves that environment, I don't think she carries the same stigma. Okay. I think I think maybe you're right. Okay. Next email. I was about to hook up with a guy recently, and he asked me if I were on the pill. When I said yes, he seemed to think that I was giving him the go-ahead for not using a condom. I've had this experience. I felt really awkward asking him to use a condom anyway. He was fine with it, but it was a weird situation. Is this common? I've had this experience, and I was very surprised. I didn't end up having sex with this person, but... um. It was weird. I was just so surprised. I mean, neither of us had had a lot of partners before, but it was still weird. I just thought that both, I mean, you're, that's a huge leap of faith on my part. And for your own safety too, it was weird. And we ended up, because we weren't going to hook up after all, we had this discussion about it. And I was like, why would we not use a condom? He's like, well, you're on the pill. And I'm like, haven't we been taking sex ed since seventh grade that tells us that, that <laughs> the pills doesn't protect against yeah. STDs? I don't know. Have you guys had, well, you guys are the ones who, do the impregnating. I don't know. <laughs> but don't you guys know that if someone is on the birth control, that it's irrelevant to whether they're get, they're protected sexually? Right. Well, I would never do that with like a one night stand. But it's like, you know, a girl that you're dating, you know, like long term. Yeah. But you take the precautions before you start having unprotected sex with that person. Right. 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 It's like it's part of the consensual process is that there's like a condom like out there. And then, you know, yeah, it's, I like, mean, it's like it's a like, key like, word for are we can have sex is should I go get a condom? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are so up up front of battle <laughs> in the old days in the old days was there a lot of i don't think this is really okay. going to happen oh maybe it is going to happen what if- yeah how would you propose it and you know, can mm-hmm. i can our parts hold hands like how, how, how did you suggest it delicately no, in the old days the pill was enough and so the condom question honestly didn't come up 
Because there wasn't AIDS. There, were, there weren't all the diseases. Or, yeah, I think you just, uh, you know, moved with the rhythm of the experience. And, <laughs> and uh, everyone was on the pill. Yeah, if you're on the pill, you're, hey, we're, I'm okay, so I don't have to worry about it. There wasn't, you know, it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. I should have been born that. Shamefully. God, easy. It was the 70s. <laughs> it was all your guys' fault to clear all the STDs we're not dealing with. <laughs> I think it was that monkey that brought AIDS over. Yeah. 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 You are listening to What Would Your Mother Say on KZSU. All right, here's another question. Another email. My boyfriend asks me questions and then interrupts me. He'll be like, how was your day? And then as soon as I start talking, he'll jump in and start making jokes or singing or something. I can't tell if he has ADD, isn't interested in what I'm hearing, or is just a spaz. How did you get in a relationship with this person? Why is this question coming out? Should I call him on it? It's kind of endearing sometimes, but other times I want him to actually listen to me. Barbara, your face. I think it's really rude. And when I um, got together with, with my husband, we were dating. I just thought it was so incredibly rude that one time I couldn't handle it anymore. And I had actually made him lamb chops on a plate and I threw it in his face. <laughs> because I wanted to be heard. And I think that's like essential in a relationship is that you're listened to. You feel heard. And especially if somebody continues to go on talking and, you know, they haven't even heard what you said. So there's no communication at that point. They're just rambling on. You know, I think, though, it happens in a lot of relationships, male, males with males. I mean, you, you're thinking of what you're going to say next. So a lot of, I don't think there's that much listening that goes on anyway. I, throwing lamb chops at you. I yeah. know. That's a pretty good move. Let's yeah. try to make some lamb chops. It got him to listen. Yeah, I bet it got him to listen. Barbara, what's Did they your... make him sheepish? No, he got little burns on his cheeks, though. Okay. <laughs> Barbara, you know, I'm just uh, I, I'm th- agreeing with Emily on this one. Why do people have loved ones that don't meet their basic needs? I mean, that's what dating is for, kind of discerning right. who you want to spend time with. And, and if the person has no interest in what you have to say, that gets old really fast. But how no, did he become your boyfriend? Yeah. Close my mind. But nobody's perfect, and they're good-looking, well, and they're loving, and they're... What, how, how, what, is it, what is so hard about just kind of smacking him and say, hey, listen to me? I mean, or just saying, like, like look, like, when I'm you talking... You just asked me a question. Yeah. Don't you, you want to hear what I have to say? You should not interrupt me. And I think that goes both ways. I mean, women do this a lot too is that oh, yeah. they're just like you know it's a facade of a conversation where then they have like little gaps between them talking where you're expected to fill in the silence and I think shaming somebody a little bit in this situation isn't a bad thing I think it, you don't necessarily have to be that nice about it the world runs on shame I mean. <laughs> <laughs> sure does okay how important is it to guys that girls orgasm during intercourse sometimes I'm in this email says sometimes I'm tempted to fake it just so he won't feel like he's doing something wrong I think it's a no, good question don't fake it. Yeah. yeah How do you feel about this? I'm curious. It. Yeah, what do guys think? It seems like there's such a variability in women. Like some women, it's it's like, you know. So it's easy. Like, it's like Lucky. a, you know, like just count it, you know. But other women, it's, you know, it's it seems like it's really hard or some have never, you know, achieved. And so I think you just kind of, it, it does help to talk about it with a particular yeah. woman and say, look, like, yeah. you know, like, let's talk about this if it's not something that you're expecting or. You know, that usually happens, like, you know, we can work from there. Yeah, I think the communication for me as a girl is super essential. Because I have, ooh, this is so TMI. <laughs> what I'm seeing right now, I, ha- I haven't had an orgasm with yet. But I can tell he's, like, trying, but he won't talk to me about it. And that's yeah. kind of frustrating because I'm like, I know you're trying to, and it's very sweet how persistent you are, but we need to have a conversation. Now, 
me ask you this. this. Is he just not talking about her, or does he not know the secret recipe? <laughs> he's pr- he's really good. I'm very finicky. I, I've but only it, ever had an orgasm with one person. This is so but true. Every I'm woman so has sorry, a different everyone. Secret recipe. I mean, right. It's like awesome. But you, know, you need a little different. communication, and like at this point, I don't. Even, I mean, he's leaving soon, so I don't even want to bring it up. But I don't know. You got to talk about it. And nobody knows better than yourself. So right. you need to have the conversation with that person. Like, how can I help you get there? Especially because guys don't understand how it works for women, I feel like. Because right. with guys, it's like, you know, that, that's why they're there, you know? Like, if it doesn't that's happen, true. like, the whole, the whole experience was kind of a waste. Right. And they're, like, they're expecting the reciprocal on the other side. And that's they're not always the case. expecting the women to be upset, you know, if it doesn't doesn't happen. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, our time has run out on that wonderful note of TMIs. <laughs> What's that sorry. Mean? Too, too much, much too information. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming on the show. I know it's exam week, so this has been a real sacrifice for you to get. No, you wanted to get away from your books. It's a good, it's a good break. Uh, thank you, though, to our moms. Thank you. Rebecca thank you. and Barbara. And to our students, Lauren, Emily, Nick, and Brennan. Thank you. Thank you. And a thank you to our listeners for your emails. Keep them coming. Our email address is mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu. For the record, the opinions you hear on What Would Your Mother Say don't represent those of KZSU or Stanford University. A special thank you to our associate producer, Sarah Buer and Mark Lawrence, and our engineer, Jack Wong. A special thank you to our underwriter, Wendy Schmidt. That's it for tonight. You've been listening to What Would Your Mother Say, and thanks for joining us. See you next week, same time, same station. I'm Susan Morris, and remember, call your mom.